0: All right, two hours on the dot.
1: I I've got two o two.
0: I I needed those two extra minutes to uh, get a little food in my belly, but uh,
1: well, technical. We had we had technical and audio kind of stuff, but yeah.
0: All right, so if you're just tuning in, this is part five. We don't normally do things in so many parts, but um, it, refresher. There's a part one, two, three, and four to this that you can go back and watch uh, that we've been doing over the past week and a half. And uh, it was a story that I left as a cliffhanger back in 2014. And we're finally finishing it today. Uh, we thought we had the last part of it that we read live last time. Um, and it ended up being another cliffhanger. So Cody graciously gave me two hours to write the, the ending of this story. And um, I have not proofread it. I have not done anything but write. And uh, this is going to be part five and the final part of Asylum. The first three days were the hardest. I had to learn not to resist. Once they saw I was going to be calm, I was released from my straitjacket and given some food. My arms were sore. Like when you get off the swings as a kid and your fingers won't open all the way. I couldn't stop hugging myself. Eventually my muscles loosened back up, but at that point it was comforting, so I kept my arms close. I quickly learned to answer to Mr. Flax. Anything else got me in various sorts of trouble. Early on, I argued with the head nurse, trying to convince her that I was from the future and that I needed to go home. She had heard it all before. Even knew a bit of what I was going to say. I got angry and punched the cage covering the windows. That was when I got my first dose of electroshock therapy. When they strap you down with those thick constraints, you can feel how worn they are. The leather is soft, like a gentle grip around your wrists and ankles and forehead. If you didn't know what was coming, it might even be a little bit comforting. But then they force in that rubber tongue saver mouth guard and the real fear starts to set in. I had been electrocuted before, most prominently. The time I got out of the shower and thought the light bulb wasn't screwed in, I stuck my hand in the empty bulb hole. My toes curled and my arms shot out of there like a bullet. But that was a baby shock. A fraction of a second of household electricity. Nothing compared to what happened on that table. They say if your hand touches a live wire, it constricts from the electricity. You physically can't let go. If you see someone else being electrocuted, you should use your belt or a stick to get them off of the charged object, otherwise you might constrict around them, too, and and then you're both dead. I never understood how serious of a warning that was until the moment they put the weird clamp on my head and cranked up the heat. My body... Tensed isn't the word, It it was more like it started to implode. It felt as though every fiber of my being was being pulled into my bones with the force of a freight train, a slow but incredibly strong, crushing feeling, and there was only room for one word inside my head, please. I don't know how long that lasted. I don't know how I got back to my room or how long it was before I woke up, but when I did, it took me a long time to stop feeling like I was expanding. I felt like a crumpled piece of cellophane left on the counter, slowly crackling back into my original shape. I only needed that experience once. There would be no more arguing for me because I had seen the movies, I knew what happened if the shock therapy didn't work. A solid smack on the back of a knitting needle straight through your tear duct. Lobotomy that would be sure to keep me here forever. I'd be a walking toddler stuck in the past. So I played it safe after that first shock. I needed to bide my time to think of an alternate route out of here. When I earned my privileges back, I started to take stock on whatever happened throughout the day, when people came and went, where all the locked doors were and windows and who had the most keys. And once I gained a little bit more of their trust, I started figuring out how to fake taking my own pills. One time in college, I took some medicine and gagged at the same time I tried to swallow, and instead of going down my throat, the pill ended up in my nasal cavity. Because I had been sick, I actually didn't notice until it started to dissolve, and then I started to panic. Painful burning acid in my nose dropping slowly down my throat. I never wanted to experience that again. But when it came to pill time here... They wanted to see under your tongue and the back of your throat, so it became my method of deception. Very, very unpleasant, but it worked, as long as I could get them out before they started dissolving. Once I started avoiding the medicine, the planning was much easier. My thoughts were my own again, and I was retaining a lot more information. Before long, I knew the guards' names and when they came and left. My favorite, and my eventual accidental savior, was Torrance. Torrance was the night shift. He sat alone from 11 p.m. to 4 a.m. every night, watching TV and reading dirty magazines. When his shift started, Torrance loved to bitch and moan just about everything to the afternoon nurses as they packed up their neat little bags and headed out for the night. He was the kind of guy that was good enough for the job, but you couldn't help but wonder if he was on the wrong side of the cage. I wasn't the only patient that believed he belonged in here with us monsters because complaining was his nightly routine he quickly became where i got most of my information from i gathered my intel night by night listening through the bars of my door window and before long i knew who had what keys when they came and went and i knew who had a soft heart none had a softer heart than Torrance, and all of this came into play every single detail the day he came up the stairs soaked in sweat cursing that goddamn elevator He ranted for a few minutes until I heard the magic words, and if I hadn't looked up from my book, I would have fell down the goddamn shaft. Why on earth would they leave the doors open if the elevator weren't there? The nurses told him something about caution tape and pylons, but I was on to bigger and better things. It was time to take action. I ran over to my bed and found my resources, the cigarettes I'd earned playing poker, the knife I'd made out of sucking on a bar of soap, and the piece de resistance, my key to freedom, Mr. Bigsley, my little doll that I made in therapy. Time to go for a trip, Mr. Bigsley, I whispered as I tossed him out of my cell door window and onto the cold polished tile. And then I started to cry. No, Mr. Bigsley, no. It only took a moment and Torrance was out of the booth and at my door. Will you shut up, Flax? You're going to wake up the whole ward. Mr. Bigsley and I got into a fight, and he left. Oh, he's right over here. No, don't touch him. Nurse Wallace said no one but me should touch him. Well, then you'll have to wait until morning. Please, you don't understand. If I don't have Mr. Bigsley, I'll I'll kill myself. We argued for a while. Torrance's heart gave in and agreed to a compromise. He opened the door with his foot jammed against it and let me reach out to get Mr. Bigsley. He cracked the door open and I struggled and struggled. And I talked to Mr. Bigley, trying to convince him to come back. I took my time reaching with my right hand and acting my crazy little heart out until Torrance lost his nerve. Time's up, flex. He kicked Bigsley into my room and I backed up and he shut the door. The door with the automatic locks the automatic locks that couldn't quite click shut with all of the cigarettes my left hand had shoved into the dead latch hole. I let Torrance take ten sleepy steps back to the booth before slipping out the door and quietly sneaking my shiv against his neck. Two things can happen here, Tori, and opening the floor gate is one of them. I don't get paid enough for this shit, he muttered as he handed me the whole keyring. I'm gonna go work nights for a high school after this. Get out of here, you lunatic. That was easier than I expected. I had 15 keys to choose from, but only one was gold with an S on it. The skeleton key. My key to freedom. I was halfway down the stairs when the alarm started ringing, but the world's longest school bell. The orderlies groggily popped out of their sleeping quarters, but it was too late. I jumped the last eight stairs and bolted to the open shaft of the elevator, taking a baseball slide to freedom. A free fall out of the basement, a broken ankle, quite a slap to the head, and when I woke up. I was in pain, but I was free. I climbed to the deserted lobby and out the front doors, to the green leaves and warm summer air. Six months had passed since I fell down that shaft, or was it 50 years? Either way, it didn't matter. I was home, and I was never going ghost hunting again. I finished. Was it fifty years or was it six? Six. Well,
1: that's great. One, I, I'm I'm thinking, who gets out of the shower and puts their like, oh, there's a light socket. I'll just put my finger in here.
0: That's the part you latched onto, huh? Um,
1: that's the well. Also, the one I I I caught onto was uh, the swings. Like, that was, like, a great analogy of, like, when you were talking about, like, you know, getting out of the straitjacket, it just brought me back to my childhood and being like, oh, shit, I remember that. Yeah, thing. yeah,
0: yeah. I kind of get that driving sometimes, too, because I get some anxiety at night, and I will realize I'm, like, white-knuckling the steering wheel. And then I'll be like, oh, man. And it always reminds me of getting off the swings as a kid. Um, yeah, the light socket thing certainly happened to me. Um, I got out of the shower. I was soaking wet. and. You know, it was early in the morning or something, and the one light wasn't on, and I was like, oh, and stuck my finger up. It was like a glass bulb like this, so you couldn't see where the socket was, and it just oh okay. shot right out.
1: Damn. Okay, I was thinking that it was just like an empty socket, and you were just like, oh, let me just put my finger in here. well uh the the story is great uh the electric shock therapy uh tory but then also uh, and like the the character and then was this like something like where you had fallen down a a shaft on the ghost hunt but then you were left behind and then you found your way out and you was just like a whole you knocked yourself out or like
0: yeah i I guess what you're saying is was it paranormal or not Yeah. yeah i don't know um because certainly the fact that he ends up back in the elevator shaft is like, oh, you know, the fantasy started where the fantasy began, but six months, your body couldn't survive six months unconscious. You'd die.
1: And in Minnesota and going through like, let's say it was winter to summer. There's no way. Yeah, there's no way. In an old that's exposed, like building. The, yeah, you so know, I think it was actually time travel.
0: Destroy it's it. Time travel. Walking through some sort of Whoa. dimensional... Uh, Look, there's some holes in the story, Cody. (laughs) I wrote this part in two hours. (laughs) Uh, It's a a marvelous story. One thing I really wanted to honor was where the story was obviously going from the beginning for myself, you know, in, in completing this. And part of that is, like, the six months, you know, like, coming back in the summer after the winter. Like, I think the reason this whole series starts with where have I been was to kind of like poke fun at the fact that I had been missing for six months when I started posting again, you know? And so I had a similar thought, not even having revisited these yet, but when we were talking about bringing back haunting season in 2020, had a similar idea of like, well, what if we start off with a story where I'm like, where have I been? Um, And I'm glad I didn't do that because it would have been like a straight up rip off of my own story.
1: (laughs) Well, great job joshua as always uh just a phenomenal story and also to have this meet a deadline within like two hours
0: yeah that that was this is a really fun challenge and and like you said like kind of therapeutic too to go back and be like okay to all those people who really did care over the years and were really wondering like let's just close that chapter so that we can continue moving forward with the new show um which is going great i'm having so much fun i'm so glad we're back To anybody wondering i'm not planning on disappearing at any point ever again i won't allow it yeah life is different now yeah so next up uh next up we've got an interview episode with uh justin c key and it's kind of like a bridge interview between our two themes um so we're gonna have you know it's gonna have a little bit of insanity and it's gonna have a little bit of next month's theme in it as well okay enjoy subscribe all the thing i don't know roll credits Hunting Season was created by me, Joshua Sterling Bragg.
1: Produced by Greg Holtzman and Jessica Richmond. And executive produced by Matt Gielen, Patrick James Lynch, and Ryan Gielen. And is a joint production of Believe Limited
0: and Matt Gielen. This episode was written and hosted by Cody Dugan and Joshua Sterling Bragg. It was edited by Colby Crow. And select music in this episode was made exclusively for the podcast by North Innsbruck. If you like our show,
1: please subscribe on your favorite platform.
0: We have a video version of the show on YouTube and Facebook. Facebook and audio versions on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Is that good? Oh boy.